0: This is Dan Fagella, and you're listening to the AI in Business podcast. As most of you are aware, our work here at Emerge Artificial Intelligence Research is primarily with large private sector clients. Much of that is in financial services. You hear us talk about insurance and banking a lot because those happen to be the industries that hire us for our AI opportunity landscape work. Uh, But one of the more fun parts of the job is being able to bring to bear knowledge about the AI ROI in various sectors to the public sector and to intergovernmental organizations. We've been honored to speak at the United Nations about deepfakes, to speak about the future of cybersecurity and surveillance at Interpol, and for this particular event, for this interview this week, uh, at the OECD's headquarters in Paris for their opening of their OECD AI policy observatory which is a fascinating project we'll cover in more depth in future interviews our guest this week our honored guest this week i should say a proper government role is lynn parker lynn parker is a phd from mit in computer science who teaches at the university of tennessee and she is the deputy chief technology officer of the united states of america no insignificant role Lynn sat down to talk about what the United States is doing about AI at a national level. There's a lot of interesting work. If you go to uh, AI.gov, you can actually learn more about what the United States is doing with artificial intelligence. But Lynn sort of boils down, what are the national priorities here? What are the directions we're moving in? What's the progress we've made as a nation? Um, And what does that mean for the future of artificial intelligence and the investments therein? A fascinating interview, and it was excellent to be able to sit down with Lynn and really get the details. This interview is made all the more relevant by the fact that the private sector is freezing up in many industries. So We know that many of our audience members are AI vendors or service providers, whether they're consultants or strategists uh, who work with organizations, and the private sector is having a tough time producing budget for new deals and new sales. We've recently produced a report, in fact, this is four to five months in the making, uh, with one of our research fellows, Ryan Smithwright, called the U.S. Public Sector AI Opportunity Report. This is to say, where is the United States spending money on AI? Where are the opportunities for vendors and service providers to engage with the U.S. government, to help with some of their initiatives? When the private sector is frozen, believe you me, the public sector is still spending money. They're spending money on basic research. They're spending money on adopting this technology. We've actually distilled the United States' core AI priorities, as well as their budgets, in this report, which you can see at E M E R J dot com slash gov1 that's gov like government so emerge.com slash gov1 check out that report if you're looking to sell ai related products or services and you want to know where within the u.s government is their budget and what are the key goals and priorities that you can latch on to to start conversations or even what parts of what departments of the government to connect with this is the report to check out emerj.com slash gov one. Without further ado, let's hop into this excellent episode with Lynn Parker, the Deputy CTO of the United States, here on the AI and Business Podcast. So Lynn, where I want to get us start off is just getting an overview of the U.S. AI Initiative. I think some folks aren't aware of sort of the broader plans of the U.S. government, and I think it'd be good to overview what that is and what progress has been made. How would you sum things up?
1: Sure, Dan. So a year ago this month, actually, um, President Trump began the American AI Initiative by signing an executive order on maintaining American leadership in artificial intelligence. And that initiative really sets our national strategy for AI and looks at what the important role is of the federal government in making sure we continue to develop the American innovation ecosystem around AI. Now, if you think about the innovation ecosystem in the United States, we have three major pillars. Of course, there's the uh, activities of the federal government play a strong role. Industry is incredibly strong in the United States in AI. And of course, we have academia, some of the top universities in the world in AI as well. So all three play important roles, and the American AI Initiative is defining what are the key high-priority areas that the federal government needs to look at and to work on in order to play its role in strengthening that American AI innovation ecosystem. So if you look at the uh, American AI Initiative, then, there are a number of key pillars. First and foremost is recognizing that we need to invest in research and development. Many of the advances that we are benefiting from today in AI are due to the decades-old innovation um, investments that the federal government made. And so we recognize that into the future, we also want to be able to take advantage of new innovation. And so... Prioritizing AI R&D is the first priority of the American AI Initiative. Some progress in that area, just recently the president announced for the fiscal year 2021 budget, which starts in October, announced the uh, commitment to doubling the non-defense AI research and development investments um, over two years. We also last year updated the National AI R&D Strategic Plan to guide those investments. And we released a progress report documenting the impact of those investments on advancing the state of the field. So that's an important first pillar of the American AI Initiative. The second is um, recognizing that there are other kinds of resources that are needed as well. And that has to do with data and computational infrastructure like cloud computing and high performance computing. So there have been a number of actions in that area as well. A third pillar of importance in the American AI Initiative is recognizing that there are some barriers to innovation, AI innovation, and we need to address those. So that has to do with regulatory barriers as well as uh, the need for increased technical standards, AI technical standards. So just recently, um, we released a proposed uh, AI regulatory principles for the United States to govern the use of AI in the private sector. And then at the end of last summer, NIST, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, released a plan for the federal engagement and the development of AI technical standards. Now, a fourth key pillar is about workforce development. We recognize that given the impact of AI across nearly every sector of society, people need to be able to have the skills in order to engage. And so it's about not only advancing the the skill set of the deep experts, but also your everyday people who need to have the opportunity to thrive in this new era of AI. And then finally, a fifth pillar that I will mention um, is about the international engagement and the importance of promoting an international environment that's supportive of American AI innovation. We were happy last year to join with OECD, the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, in signing on to the first intergovernmental consensus agreement on fundamental principles for the stewardship of trustworthy AI. And we're happy now to uh, join with the other OECD countries in launching the AI Policy Observatory to continue that work into the implementation of the principles. So in a quick nutshell, those <laughs> yeah. are the areas that we've been working on. And we've been working very hard over the last year with a number of accomplishments that we're very proud of.
0: Yeah, and, and AI.gov, right? Yes, So, yep, yeah. So for those of you who aren't familiar at, at Emerge, we've actually done a good deal of research as of yet released on the non-DOD investments in AI. AI.gov is a great just central hub of all the links, right? There's so many references to the, the rest of what you're talking about here. I'd love to poke into a few of these items as, sure. we, as we move forward. So you mentioned sort of R and D being kind of a, a big initial first pillar. Obviously the federal government, um, you know, yeah, if we think about what we can do to foster, I guess, the the leadership of AI in the United States, that's that's way up there. I think most folks are familiar with DARPA's early investments in Silicon Valley being sort of, I think you had said we're kind of riding on that to some degree. Yeah, I think that, that, that money was important. When it comes to kind of, you know, stuff even outside of the DOD for R and D, you know, what kind of floats to mind for you as to where, where the government is, is really implementing those initiatives? I guess when I think about it, I think about partnering with universities on particular projects, or I think about particular technical goals and trying to fund maybe private sector teams to kind of reach those. What does R&D really look like in terms of what the U.S. is excited about and really wants to, to marshal resources behind it?
1: You know, I think one of the great advantages of the American uh, research and development system is that we have a lot of different agencies that have different missions. You mentioned DARPA, and certainly DARPA has a mission of avoiding surprise and looking at the cutting edge of technology development. And so they certainly are investing with their AI Next campaign and looking at what's the next generation of AI look like, Um, explainable AI and AI that can have more common sensibilities. Those are extremely important investments for looking forward. But you know, in the United States, we don't have a Department of Science that top down tells all the agencies what to invest in. It's a great advantage of ours that we have all these different mission agencies, um, like Department of Transportation, like NSF, NIST, NIH and so forth. And all of these agencies are investing according to their mission and, and according to their perspectives. So you can dig into programs at all of these agencies that are advancing the field. And I reference again, the progress report on AI that we mentioned that is available on AI.gov that goes into some detail into how all of the investments that the agencies are making are contributing across the application sectors of AI. And so that way we're being able to push the frontiers in so many different domains. Now, many of those areas of funding are for academics, and some of them are collaborations or partnerships with industry and other non-governmental actors like nonprofits or domain experts in civil society. So partnerships is a key theme in all of these investments, making sure that um, we are coming together across all of these different sectors to work together to advance the field.
0: And we're going to get into the intersection with the private sector before we're out, because I know our listeners are predominantly in that space and many of whom are in the United States and will be interested in that topic. To kind of, I guess, as, as a transition into our question number two, you mentioned this final point is international engagement with sort of groups that are supportive of the US AI innovation. Obviously, we're here at the OECD now, Lynn. You know, This is one sort of forum for democratic nations to think about AI development. What does international engagement mean when it comes to the US AI initiative? What, what does that imply?
1: Well, certainly, I think when you um, look at the whole spectrum of activities that are happening internationally, there are an enormous amount of these activities. You know, some 30 plus agencies at the UN are, are, are getting into AI. There are lots of think tanks and um, academics, and there's just a huge number of international organizations that are thinking about artificial intelligence. And so when we were looking at the international spectrum, we looked at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, OECD, um, as a group that has a number of like-minded countries together. It looks at approaches that are based on scientific evidence and multi-stakeholder approaches to policymaking so that we can support innovation in particular while we're also making sure that the technologies are being developed in a way that's consistent with our values. And so we were happy to join in with the OECD activities and then also to continue that with the AI policy observatory. Now, if, if you think about this from uh, an international perspective, as it relates to the United States, what does it mean to promote an international environment that's supportive of the American yeah, AI initiative? Yeah. And so in particular, we want to join with like-minded countries to say that we don't have to make a choice. We don't have to say either you're developing AI and innovative uses of AI across so many different sectors of society or you have to develop in a way that's consistent with our values. We reject that either-or mindset. We believe that in order to develop AI technologies that are beneficial and are also reflect our values, which is a lot of what the international conversation is about right now, we also need to be the global hubs of AI innovation. So on the international front, if you look at a lot of the conversations now, They're about how do you regulate AI in many cases? How do you oversee the use of AI to protect ourselves from AI? But we believe that is taking it it can go to the extreme, yeah. to the point that we're not only protecting ourselves from AI, but we're also taking an unethical step of not allowing ourselves to benefit from AI at the same time. So the international conversation around this is as an area that we are engaging in to make sure that people are approaching this with a, a level-headed approach in that it's not a choice between innovation or values, but you can do both. You can do both if we're the global hubs of innovation. So, we believe the activities that are happening through the OECD are fostering that mindset of innovation and a values based approach.
0: Yep. I think when we've done interviews with folks in Europe, AI experts in Europe, we have a series in Q2 that we'll release about this. And there's a lot of folks who are a little concerned that there is a level at which regulation and double checks and ways of using data that involve a hundred other double checks could potentially prevent us from bringing this to diagnostics bringing this to transportation bringing this to life in ways that are good Um, and so that balance is nuanced and obviously america is going to be more on the leading edge of that want to lean a little bit more towards innovation partially because that that's america's bag and also partially because we we sort of already hold that position i think and, and maybe need to maintain it so that that does feel quite delicate I guess that takes us into question two, which is, what does it look like to maintain it? Because clearly, to integrate, to make human rights something important, to some, some semblance of privacy and, and security and uh, reliability of these technologies is, is definitely one factor. And then there's like moving as fast as we can to have the best economic advantage, the best military advantage, whatever the case may be. Like you said, it's not either or, but wh- what does it look like for the, the, the nations that want to have both? to be able to do that well, because it does feel like a tough problem.
1: It is a tough problem. We believe that the framework that we put out this January for a proposed AI regulatory approach demonstrates how you do both. If you look at that, it's now out for public comment, by the way, until uh, through uh, mid-March, and we certainly invite people to provide their feedback That talks about how you can have the development and the innovation while at the same time making sure that the innovative technologies are used in a way that's consistent with our expectations for our values, civil rights, civil liberties. And so their AI regulatory approach is addressing this this balance by saying, okay, first of all, when we're thinking about regulation of AI, we want to make sure that we're engaging with the public. And so people from all perspectives can come together and from their perspectives provide feedback and information on how best the regulation can work so that we can look at both sides. We can look at how the innovations can benefit people and the ways that maybe it can need some extra guardrails. Yeah. A second principle or overarching goal of those regulatory uh, principles is to limit regulatory overreach. So, it's recognizing that we need a flexible performance-based framework for regulation rather than a one-size-fits-all approach. And in that way, we are carefully balancing the benefits as well as those cases where we need to make sure that we're not going too far in a use case of AI. And then a third primary goal of those uh, regulatory principles is in promoting trustworthy AI. And that's recognizing that as agencies are considering regulatory oversight of the use of AI in the private sector, that we're considering things like fairness and non-discrimination, disclosure, transparency, safety and security, and so forth. And that way, we can foster innovation by raising and fostering confidence and trust in the technologies, because that is a barrier if we don't trust the technology.
0: That's an interesting and important point. In fact, I I know I and the team have at least taking a tertiary look at the proposed regulatory approach. Hope to get out a short blog post about that while commentary is open. Uh, I and and one of our our research fellows, Ryan, actually are kind of putting together ideas. But I think that the trust point is really a useful one because, as you'd said, yeah, if if that starts to break, now maybe there's all the more reason to want to halt that innovation. Maybe there's all the more reason to want to lean into overreach you know, it sounds like a very American thing, performance-based regulation, but hey, you know, I don't know, I, you know, that's that's my bag as well. But yeah, to, to really kind of consider that barometer is interesting. And I think it'll be curious to see in the next two, three years, how we can sort of foster that trust and how the government can help to sort of support that. Do you think that it'll be important for countries uh, like the states who are sort of juggling both, you know, the, the human rights and the privacy and all these other elements along with aiming to maintain leadership? Are there any other considerations that those countries have to maybe take into account as we look forward into a future where where the international system is going to have all kinds of players taking all kinds of approaches? Is there anything people have to bear in mind, I guess, as we head into that world?
1: Well, I'm sure there are many things. Uh, One thing that comes to mind, um, as a nation that's leading the way in the AI innovation, we are in a a very nice position of also being able to test out and learn from these technologies in those application areas that people are concerned about. Let me just use facial recognition as an example. There's a lot of conversation now around the world Mm -hmm. about we should ban the use of facial recognition. And a lot of that, of course, is a fear of what authoritarian nations are doing. And us not wanting the free world then to uh, turn into a surveillance state. And I totally share those. We certainly um, do not condone any of the activities that are happening around the world in terms of authoritarian surveillance activities. At the same time, it's an overreaction, I believe, to say we should therefore ban these kinds of technologies uh, until we figured it out. Because the problem is you can't figure it out if you're not testing it in a safe uh, approach. And that's why we advocate for things like regulatory sandboxes or non-regulatory approaches where we can learn from these technologies in a way that perhaps everyone that's uh, involved is aware that these technologies are being used. And now we can learn about what the right guardrails are. And at the same time, we can make good use of the technologies for positive uses, such as finding that lost child or identifying and and, um, helping people who are victims of human trafficking, for instance. There are lots of good applications of this technology. If, however, we overreact and say, let's just not use it at all, we're hurting ourselves from not being able to take good advantage of the technology.
0: Yeah. And it it does seem like um, that sandbox regulatory environment is you know maybe more necessary than ever in a domain where technology's so shifting so quickly right that the normal ossified you know write the rule painted across the nation or painted across the state just just may not work as well as these kind of test beds and it'll be curious to see how the government adapts to this sort of more evolving Uh, regulatory world. But my hope is that that dream can come to life. Final question, because I know we've got a lot of private sector folks tuned in. We've got the sense that while it's maybe been said for three, three and a half years, really the last year, 18 months, there's been a more ardent effort, not only from the DOD, but other facets of the US government to kind of be more plugged into the innovation space outside of the big contractors that deal with the government necessarily, they try, trying to open up a little bit more. You know, if you're talking to a business crowd who wants to understand what that means, what, what this, I guess, enhanced ability to contribute to government AI efforts sort of looks like, what would you say to that that audience?
1: Well, I think right now we're certainly in a stage where we want to be able to work together in partnerships. And the private sector has lots of expertise in particular use cases of, of AI that, that they have been developing. And there's a great opportunity here for the federal government to learn from industry about what are the, the best approaches for using AI in cases where we think that there do need to be um, some extra areas of governance. So having the dialogue between industry and government about what the right approaches are for making use of these technologies in these challenging use cases that we all agree we can benefit. Benefit from, but we have to do it in a right way. That's a great uh, opportunity to hear from industry about their ideas because they know the technology the best and they know um, what some approaches might be that would work well. And through that partnership with the government, we can make better strides toward actually implementing all these principles that we're talking about.
0: Do you think that's going to bend into sort of a different way that procurement works? In other words, maybe procurement will open up to sort of a broader ecosystem than the the bigger established sort of players that provide, let's say, tech to different government wings. Like, does that involve a bit of an opening of that in some way, shape, or form?
1: I think it could. Um, I think part of the uh, advantage of putting out our proposed AI regulatory principles is that it now provides some predictability, and you can imagine some smaller companies who may have particular AI technologies that could be used in a lot of different sectors having now uh, more of an advantage because now they have some predictability about what the regulatory approach might look across the different application areas. And that then um, theoretically could open up the opportunities uh, for more than just the big companies.
0: Yeah. And I know the DOD has a focus on that. And and I think if... uh... If we wanna stay nimble, hopefully a bit more of that will, will occur. So I definitely encourage everybody in the private sector to check out the proposed AI regulatory approach. We'll make sure that when the article goes out with this interview, we'll have that linked below. Lynn, thank you so Great. much for thank being able to so join much. us. Dan's pleasure. Yeah. So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast. If you like this program, if you get a lot out of what we do here, please do consider leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. It means the world in terms of helping get the show out to more folks that are interested in artificial intelligence strategy and AI use cases. And it certainly means a lot to us here in the team. We learn a lot by reading the comments about the podcast, whether it be emails, whether it be LinkedIn messages, which I'm always getting bombarded with, but I appreciate and also messages on iTunes. So drop us a five-star review if you like the show. And otherwise, be sure to stay tuned for next Tuesday here on the AI and Business podcast.